Welcome to day five of the Tap In Geek Out Great American Beer Festival coverage. We are down the home stretch here. Tonight we're going to be talking about Tumble Root Brewery and Distillery out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. We had Jason Kirkman and Brandon, their brewer, sit down with us, not only to talk about their Honey Double IPA, which was fantastic, but what these gentlemen had to talk about was really interesting because I think in all of the time that we've been doing this, Eric, we've never had the pleasure of talking to someone who was not only brewing, but distilling whiskey in the same facility. Is that right? We definitely haven't talked to anyone that not only has that approach, but also these guys have some very unique approaches to brewing, which I think are going to be very interesting to our listeners. You guys know that I'm a fruity beer kind of guy. Their Honey Double IPA, though, is an IPA that I can drink, and that's the biggest compliment I can give it. Jason and Brandon were awesome. We hope you guys enjoy the interview. much for taking time out of your schedule you guys look a little road weary at this point they actually look the most awake out of every (laughs) guest we've had and and please take that as a compliment because everyone that has sat down today has looked happy yeah but exhausted it's overwhelming for sure it is yeah and and on a saturday night at this point i mean we've all been through the whole weekend it it means a lot that uh, you guys again would take some time and and sit down and talk about what you do i was actually really anxious to talk to tumble root when i started doing research about who we wanted to talk to this is a big opportunity for us because we talked to a lot of brewers but they're all in colorado and i figured let's talk to all the states around colorado because even if we're not drinking their stuff right now there's a chance pretty soon that we could be yeah I liked your story and was happy that I got a response from you. And fast forward to right now, and we've got you guys here. How has your Great American Beer Festival gone? Well, Jason, take the lead on this. Yeah, it's gone really well. I mean, even though we're a neighboring state and we're not like a distribution first brewery, I think so many people from Denver come down to Santa Fe. They have their Santa Fe experiences or they at one point in time live there or were from New Mexico. So I think one of the best parts for me, we've been behind the booth most of the time, is meeting these folks and, hey, well, you're in Santa Fe and just talking about their experience and saying, hey, when you come down, check us out, sharing a little bit about ourselves. So it's been a great opportunity to just meet a lot of people and share a little bit of our beer and our story. You guys do not only beer, but also are into stilling as well. That's correct. We go fully organic for all of our spirits and all from scratch as well. So uh, we bring it all in. We don't take any rectifying. We brew it all. We start off all of our whiskeys and vodka starts off as an unhopped beer. We distill that down. Our agave spirits, our rums all start off as uh, organic syrups and sugars. So, yeah. And it's all about having a full, complete bar at our main tap room, especially. I mean, we have a smaller tasting room that has a full bar, but we have an old historic club that we've taken on and a lot of live music and great outdoor space, food trucks, and uh, provide a full from scratch bar program. You know, I think Part of it is the restrictions in the licensure in our state. 
I was going to ask about that. If you're doing both of those. Well, we're allowed to do it, but there are certain things like we can only use our own beer and spirits. We're also allowed to use wine and cider that's made in New Mexico and other spirits that are made in New Mexico. But of course, that's such a limited palate that we want to make some variations of classic cocktails, for instance. We might have to make a martini. We have to make our own vermouth from scratch. Oh, wow. And then, you know, things like that or, or to make an Amaro from scratch because we can't use some of the classic ones from Italy or, or from France. Or, so what restricts us also makes us more creative and see it as a challenge, right? And then we also do things we don't have to. We make our own tonic syrups from scratch, and our bartenders love that. You know, they really see it as an opportunity to be creative and expressive at that level right there at the bar. So. And that ensures that you guys are doing stuff that literally no one else can. Yeah, it's exactly. not that they don't. It's just they will never be able to. Exactly. And the cool thing is, too, the, the bartenders and servers, it's almost like a playground for them. The majority of our specialty cocktails were actually just created by the staff themselves, whether they're a play off of an existing cocktail that just kind of tweaked a little bit or something entirely different. It's kind of neat to sit down and they kind of change it out every few weeks with new cocktails. But yeah, just to see, oh, hey. Uh, Cassidy made this one, or hey, Michael created this cocktail. It's, it's really cool to see that. Oh, man, they get excited about it. It's like new cocktail menus coming up in two weeks. Get started on your, you know, refining this and then show it to the, the bar manager. And, and he'll be like, yeah, this will work. Let's do a few little tweaks. But those uh, staff members are excited on the menu and they feel pretty involved and proud about it. So out of rules that are restrictive, you guys have become extremely innovative. I didn't see the word organic around yesterday a lot. You guys were blasting that everywhere. And I was like, okay, they must be doing something different. And it shows in your beer. So is that kind of where that came from? Like, well, we have to do everything differently. Let's just do it all our own way. At a production scale that we are at, there's a little bit of experimentation, but we also have to make sure that we're not going completely off the wall. But we'll sit down and we'll kind of be like, okay, what do we want out of this beer? What do we want out of the seasonal variety or one of the things we wanted to do this spring or summer was a uh, field beer. So like what's what's going to be in season, what's going to be fresh. So we actually did a collaboration with a, a brewery down in Albuquerque and we did a, a peach Dortmunder. So basically our, our Dortmunder recipe added some peaches to it. And uh, it's really just a really nice kind of clean peach beer. But yeah, basically it, it gives us a chance to kind of play around with what's new and what's around. Based on your hibiscus beer, I would love to try your peach beer. I'm a sucker for peaches, man. <laughs> nice. So I'm sure it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, it's got a really nice nose. And yeah, it's got a, a really just kind of a hint of peach flavor. But the nose, it's just you put it up to your mouth, you know right away that it's peaches. So I was a fan of the honey IPA. Oh, cool. Thank you. It was one of the beers I got to try early on before my judgment really starting to get affected. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I think it just made me a lot more excited to be able to sit down and talk to you guys about that. What went into the beer selection for what you guys brought to Denver this year? I think that one was we had success with it. We entered it into the uh, National Honey Board's Honey Beer Competition. We got gold for that. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And they came back to us and they're making a big push to do some training with other breweries and promote honey beers, talk about what's been successful with certain breweries. And they asked us for some feedback. They got samples from us and they took it around the country. We actually had brewers come to our booth, say, I had your beer in Missouri and and uh, I'd love to talk to you more about it. And I think one of the reasons why they selected it, if you put it against a whole bunch of IPAs, it's not going to be appreciated for the standards for those IPAs. But we really just started with the honey and built it from there. We're like, how do we accentuate this? How do we get the color right to evoke honey, right? How do we choose the right malts to really emphasize the honey or to, to evoke honey again, right? Right. Um, which hops do we select to go with this honey? 
And it was really built all around that. And I think they were really psyched about it. So like, yeah, that's a great approach. You know, that's really what we should be doing with this. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not a common ingredient or even like a flavor target for an IPA profile. I think that oftentimes with West Coast style IPAs, I mean, much like what's going on with the brood IPAs, adding adjuncts, adding sugars to dry it out. With honey, you do get that drying, but you can have this perception of the flavors of it kind of evoke sweetness, even though it's not sweet on your tongue, even mm. though the sugars are fully fermented. So there is this drying effect, but it's not used like uh, corn sugar is used quite commonly, right, in IPAs to give you that drying effect because of the fact that there's this kind of other layer. If you're an IPA producer and you just want to be hops only, hops forward, it maybe takes away from that, right, that perception of sweetness or something else, right? I think it's because of beers just like that that people are finally starting to realize IPA doesn't have to mean super hoppy. I mean, if you like that, that's great. I personally enjoy super hoppy IPAs. This year at GABF, I've learned that there's so many different ways that you can take that particular style and make it anything that you want to make it. So hats off. I'm not an IPA guy at all. And yesterday, Doug was like, look, I know you don't want to try an IPA. You have to try it. And I was like, and it's a double. I was like, what are you doing to me here, bud? And uh, he wouldn't give it to me if he knew I didn't like it. And I took a sip of it. And I was like, okay, you can call that an IPA, but that is not what I think of when I think of an IPA. Like, that's absolutely delicious. So yeah, mad props to you guys. I like the trend of the sour IPAs and the fruity IPAs because then it's an IPA. I enjoy to drink. I don't do the hops like he does over there. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah, sure. Everyone's got their style, yeah. So how long have you guys been doing this? As a personal brewer, I've been in the homebrew scene for four years, and Jason kind of took me under his wing here with Tumbleroot, and I've been brewing full-time with him since February when we actually started production. So I'm relatively new to the scene. Jason, he can kind of give his background. Yeah, I mean, I started brewing in college, went to Colorado College back in the uh, early 90s, kind of saw the early growth of this whole movement here, and you know, was taking microbiology when I learned, wow, you can do this at home, <laughs> right? Uh, started home brewing then, worked at a brewery, um, steamboat out of college, and we went on to teach, but I, I homebrewed and, and judged, was kind of part of the, the homebrew scene for, for decades. When I wanted to move on to something else, I started hanging out breweries, went up to Los Alamos, Bathtub Row Brewing Co-op, um, helped them get started, brewed with them for a couple years. My partner and I were thinking about this brewery distillery concept. I knew I needed to get some professional distilling experience. So I went down and started hanging out with some different distilleries, worked with Broken Trail down in Albuquerque. It's a brewery distillery as well. There are a few others in the state. And uh, he showed me so much about it and allowed me to start doing our own uh, whiskeys and other barrel-aged spirits so that while we were trying to find our place and build out our place, I was able to get a head start on some of these spirits that require a little aging. So when we opened up, we were able to open up with a rye malt whiskey that started out as a uh, 55% rye beer, clear beer that we distilled, which is one of the cool things about the the synergy between a brew house and a, uh, a distillery, right? Being able to make these interesting beers and then turn them into a whiskey and pull out some of these beer flavors, whatever, you know, and, and the magic of how you can concentrate a beer through distillation and get this kind of cool whiskey it's awesome that's really cool it is magic yeah. <laughs> you could take a beer and transform it into a spirit yeah that's yeah, pretty cool i mean we went to stranahan's here and you know their story is with flying dog up in aspen they uh were able to use that beer and uh, distill it and make colorado whiskey but it was a real kind of brewery based thing you go there now and check out their facility it is a beer brewery all the way up to the point of the still you know they make a finished beer product and distill it so 
that's kind of the thing that we're trying to do there. And the, even with our vodkas and more highly distilled beverages, they begin as a beer. I get the sense this is not your first G8BF, but is this your first year as Tumbleroot? Exactly. Yeah, we opened our tap room back in April. Yeah. So we're still fairly new to the scene, but we've been pretty well received. People seem to really enjoy our beers and have given us pretty much nothing but good feedback, which is really encouraging. So, yeah, it's great to hear as a first-time brewery up here just to get good feedback from people. Yeah, it has been, for sure. You guys are really innovative. Have you been able to walk around and taste other beers and get even more ideas? Is that kind of how the weekend's been for you? I, I feel like as brewers... We always have this mad scientist kind of vibe going where we're always looking for what else we can do. And it's just one of those things that you try something else like, oh, man, what if I took this spice and that fruit and did this style of beer? And like you just get all these different inspirations that kind of come about. It's really kind of fun. And we were kind of talking about this. We have a, a couple ideas for some beers we want to brew in the future. And we're like, oh, let's, go, let's try some different styles of these beers that they might be out here and, and see what kind of comes to mind for us that we could maybe turn into something of our own. That's just one of those things that just is always happening. It's yeah. awesome. I think you, you spend a lot of time in your mind thinking about what if I change this variable, this variable, the yeast, or how I hop it. But then to actually go out there and try all of these samples that were other people's brainchilds, right? And you're like, I bet they did this. I bet they did that. And it really fills out imaginative part of your brain that's always churning, right? You've got some concrete examples of, oh, that's what happens when you do that, right? Beyond what you'd be able to brew in your own kind of personal history. So it's amazing to be around all these thousands of years. What a playground. I know this is a really unfair question, but is there anything specific that you guys have started processing or, or considering that might want to share? We haven't had a chance to really sit down and talk about That's why it's really unfair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've been mentally probably processing a lot of this, but we haven't actually had a chance to sit down and actually talk about it. One of the things that we're planning on doing in the future is uh, American Orange Stout. So basically a big chocolatey stout, uh, nice hot profile too. And I've been trying a lot of the stouts just to kind of see what I'm liking and what I'm not liking now. And one thing that I've noticed when I first came to GABF, I was all about the big imperial stouts. Now, as I'm going around sampling more of them, they're a little bit too thick and rich for me. And um, it's making me realize that I, when we're planning about our stout, I don't want something that's just like super lactose heavy, just really malty. I want a nice balanced stout, something that has good flavor that's not just going to sit there and coat your tongue and yeah, so I think there's just some of these things that just sit back there and they're just kind of ever present, just kind of saying, hey, remember that one beer? Don't do that or do this because it was really, really good. So, yeah. <laughs> and we are really seasonal. So like that is a beer that I brewed years ago that, that just says Christmas time to me, orange and chocolate. And that's coming up. Um, also, we're rolling out some Belgian beers, bringing in some Belgian yeast and, and playing with that for a few generations. And uh, I've been around drinking there aren't that many of them. It's crazy how many now juicy IPAs and how few Belgian beers are around. So like a triple is one of my favorite styles. And I'm thinking about I want to have a, a little bit more hoppy version, figuring out what combination might work well with that yeast expression. And, and uh, so that's on my mind for sure. You know, for all of the different directions that the IPAs are going, I've been really fascinated with these brute IPAs. Just they're very clean where the, the juicy can be, sometimes they're, I think, very fun and fruity, and sometimes there's this extra resininess that's attached to those particles that it's like, no, I don't care for that, and then I don't know when it's going to leave my mouth because it's clinging there. So I really like some of these brood IPAs. They're just very elegant and uh, be worth playing around with. Yeah, we noticed that last year the barrel age was the thing. This year the brute is the thing. Yeah. I want to know from two pros, what is it going to be next year? Oh my gosh, what's the, the thing coming, huh? It's so hard to predict these things. I mean, I feel like one brewery comes out with something that just completely blows everybody's minds. 
and then uh, everybody else just takes on to it. Like it, it took a couple of years for the hazies and juicies to really get to where they are right now. And I mean, I think here in Colorado, like Weldworks did wonders for the juicy scene here. It's kind of weird because New Mexico has this really odd like lag time of like what's popular. It takes about three or four years for it to kind of make its way down to us. So like people in New Mexico just still really love West Coast style, just super dank IPAs. I mean, obviously the fruit beers and the sours and things like that are still going to be popular, but it's so hard to predict what might come about. I'll tell you, I've been really appreciating some of the loggers that are coming out of this area. And I think there's maybe not a new thing, but it may be a newfound appreciation. A resurgence. Yeah. Yeah. There, it's very hard to do, but we were at a beer stat and just what they were doing with decoction and how you could taste the difference and see the difference in those beers. I know a lot of brewers are fascinated by that and really appreciate it, but maybe more of the general public will really start drinking those traditional lagers. Yeah, I was kind of saying too that I want to go back to the classics. I want to just be able to sit down and have like a beer that doesn't have all kinds of crazy stuff going on. I just want like a, a nice, clean, easy drinking beer. I've been talking to my friends about that and I feel like it's a kind of a common thing where they're they're almost getting burnout of these just ridiculous beers. <laughs> and so I, I think there might be a pullback to some of the classics. And yet people that can do just a really phenomenal Pilsner or a great Kolsch or just a nice Meritzen, like those are just going to be some of the good ones. Kolsch is the one in particular yeah. that I think for some reason it always catches my eye yeah. because they're so not uncommon now, but it's uncommon for someone to feature a Kolsch, yeah. especially like bring it to a festival. Exactly. And I saw more Kolsch this year yeah. than I have in the past four. For sure. It's one of those beers where you can go to a beer garden or the patio on a nice summer or spring day and just have two or three Kolsch's and you can still function. You can still taste things. You can still enjoy food. If you have three just crazily bitter IPAs, your palate's just gone at that point. But I think a Kolsch or a Pilsner or something is just going to be very easy to have a couple of and still be able to enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, it's interesting. I think early days of brew pubs, there would be Kolsch's, right? And it would be called that kind of intro beer or stepping stone beer. And I guess it was being brewed for what it was not. It's not overly bitter. And it wasn't really about necessarily appreciating the qualities that it does have, right? Those subtle apple notes or having a gorgeous head on that or all of these little things that would perfect that that style, right? Now you're starting to see people, and I think people who are real beer aficionados go to those things that, yeah, they're not the nth degree of any of these things. They're very simple and subtle, but when done right, you can really dig them, really appreciate them. So. It's like a good woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The exotic ones aren't always the ones that are, are going right, to make you happy right. in the long run. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have said that on the air. I was, I, you appreciate her for her subtle qualities. <laughs> I was going with something and I still am. But when you said that, I was like, yeah, not the direction I was headed whatsoever there. I was going to tell you guys that I was not going to come in here yesterday and try any Citra Pales because Upslope Citra Pale oh, yeah. is one of my top oh, five beers of all beer, time. Yeah. Yours is right up there, though. In fact, I think yesterday I said it was as good. I don't like to go better, but <laughs> yeah. I was afraid. I was like, man, I'm going to have this, and it's going to beat up slopes. And I was like, <laughs> man, these guys just don't make bad beer. And I'd say that fits more in the easy drinking yeah. beer style, not as complicated. I love the fruity stuff, but sometimes I just want to sit down and drink a beer. And I think your Citra was a perfect example of that style. Cool. It's, Thank it, you very yeah, much. Yeah, it's definitely one of our like more popular beers. It's kind of fun as a brewer to walk into the tap room just in plain clothes and just kind of walk around and almost spy on people as they're drinking their beer and get their feedback. And yeah, I mean, the, the Citra Pale Ale is definitely one of our most popular beers. And we've taken it to other events and it goes really well. People seem to really enjoy it. So I'm glad to hear that. 
I tried all four of your beers. And again, guys, I don't do double IPAs and I was impressed with all of them. So thank you so much for not only sitting down with us today and sharing your story, but gosh, guys, keep doing what you're doing. Everyone we've kind of talked to today, we've been shocked at the amount of time that they've spent doing this and the quality of the beer that related to that. And I put you guys in the same boat. I can't believe the amount of time you've been doing this. And is it fair to say that we can expect to see you guys back here next year? I think that's a fair assumption. That's the plan, yeah. <laughs> We'd love to sit down and talk to you and kind of see how the year went. We actually are going to plan trips. Uh, we want to kind of see the breweries firsthand because I think tasting your beer here is great, but I think coming into your home and spending some time there, that's where you get the full experience. Oh, Again, with the model of, of our business, it really is about having the beer in that environment, right? Or the, the cocktails or in some cases, the beer cocktails. So. <laughs> and so, you yeah, guys have two facilities now in Santa Fe? We have a production facility that's a separate from our main tap room. The production facility has a tiny 49-person capacity, just a little tasting room, limited hours. Tasting, But okay. yeah, it, everything's focused on our big tap room, which is more close to town and more easily accessible area for many people. Yeah, real large outdoor space, a lot of private events going on in there while our customers are there. It's just a very big space with all kinds of possibilities, great stage, sound system. We have live music almost every night. So that experience, the uh, fact that it's become a community hub, and that's kind of how it was designed. It's very kid-friendly as well. So it's become kind of this big center for all kinds of social and other events in the town and we just feel like our beer and our spirits are meant to kind of accompany that but that's the real focus so yeah like see that. the space yeah what do you guys have next up after you get back and get some downtime after gabf is there uh, any event in particular you want to talk about that's on the horizon yeah we have a uh, harvest festival uh over the weekend of the 6th and 7th of october we found that we've been through this connected to all these different people, different organizations in so many different ways. So bringing into the, the people that are part of the agricultural scene in the area into our space, thank them for the connections that we've had and developed, let them have a chance to talk with our customers. We've got music all day long. We've got some classes and interactive tasting, learning experiences. So yeah, our local homebrew club will actually be there brewing a batch of all grain beer just to show, hey, this is how on a tiny scale how nice. it works. And our farmer who collects our grains is going to be there with a little petting zoo and just kind of some fun stuff like that. We'll yeah, be pressing some apples and be so a fun time. It's our first festival, so we're, yeah. we're excited about it. Right on. Well, you guys have been great. I want to thank you again. I oh, really course. appreciate it. It's been awesome. Thank you. Was this your all's first podcast too? Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but this is my first time on one. So. Well, then we are absolutely honored. Thank <laughs> awesome. you very much. Of course. Thank you guys.